Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have sprinkled your word on the soil of our hearts this morning. I pray that it would bear fruit. I pray that we would hear well. And I pray that we would follow you in all you are calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have to tell you, when Paul sent out the rota and I saw which text I was to preach on today, I was pretty excited. You see, I have been wanting a lovely flower garden for quite a while, and I've always made excuses as to why I couldn't have one. We didn't have much garden space, I didn't have the time, I didn't know how, I managed to kill every green thing that came inside the house, etc., etc. But in March this year, I saw an ad for a flower club where members get seeds every month and instruction videos on how and when to plant them, how to take care of them. So I thought, right, I'll sign up, thinking maybe this will be the push I need to get that flower garden I've been wanting. Well, since March, my life has been somewhat overtaken by those seeds. I've learnt how to plant them in seed trays, and not every seed is planted the same, apparently, because some need light to grow while others need darkness. But, of course, there's another whole sermon in that. How to water them, I've learnt, and uh, when to put them outside to toughen them up, and when to move them to bigger pots, and when to plant them in the garden. It goes on and on, as my husband can attest. I've... I've gone from having nothing in the, gar in the way of a garden five months ago to having an ever-increasing array of pots and plants and spending time each day tending to the seeds, seedlings and about to bloom plants. So, when I saw today's passage, I was pretty excited because I feel like I've learned quite a lot about seeds and growth in the last few months and that's brought a bit of new light to this parable for me. So this is one of Jesus' very well-known parables. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard it more than once. And it's often referred to as the parable of the sower. However, I think a better name would be the parable of the soils, because it's actually the soils that are the focus of the parable. Jesus tells this story about a farmer who sowed his seed and the results that came from it landing on four different places. Following the story, and before he tells his disciples the meaning of it, he teaches them about why he speaks in parables, drawing from some Old Testament texts. We could think about the whole passage kind of like a sandwich, with the bread of the parable and its explanation either side, and the filling of the Old Testament quotations and Jesus' teaching in the middle. We need all three to understand the heart of the passage. Now, when we heard this passage read this morning, I don't know if you spotted some repeated words. But when I was writing out this passage in preparation, which is what I like to do when I'm preparing, I noticed how often the word here comes up. Did anybody else spot that repetition? Yeah, the, the first mention of this word is an important invitation from Jesus. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, we might think this sounds a little strange, as most people who have ears can hear. However, as we make our way through this passage and Jesus' teaching and quoting of the Old Testament, we see that there are clearly different kinds of hearing. In quoting from the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Jesus says, though hearing, 
they do not hear or understand. That sounds a bit confusing, doesn't it? I mean, how can someone see and not see at the same time? How can someone hear and not hear? Jesus goes on to quote from another prophet, Isaiah, in elaborating on the problem further. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. Those of us who have a spouse or children will probably understand that it is, in fact, possible to hear and not hear at the same time. We won't go any further into that. Jesus is telling his disciples that the way people hear is of central importance to how they receive the message of the kingdom. In verse 12, he says something that some might find unfair, even offensive. He says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away from them. Now, in our culture today that values equality, that seems wrong, doesn't it? (laughs) Like, that's a bit unfair. But this having is talking about something very specific. Whoever has ears to hear. Those who have ears to hear Jesus will be given more. But those who don't have ears to hear, who reject the word of God because of hard hearts, will have even what little they have had sown on the surface of their lives taken away. That's why the way we hear is so important. Jesus teaches about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in parable form because these secrets are like seeds. I've brought a few packets of seeds along so I can just shake them. Um, When we look at a seed, and I remember opening these and thinking, well, they look rather unexciting. Um, They all look a bit different. Some of them are larger than others. But we don't know the potential it holds. I opened Nicotiana and had absolutely no idea what that was going to look like. I just planted it in the hope that it would look nice at some point. We don't know what it's going to grow into. In faith, we plant it in the ground and we tend it in order to see what grows from it. And unfortunately, we don't get from seed to flower overnight. It requires time and patience. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of heaven is like that in the lives of his disciples. These secrets are not closely guarded secrets only for a select few. They're mysteries. That word secret is actually the word mystery in Greek. That mystery is like a seed that's planted in hearing hearts which bears fruit over time. Just as it's a mystery as to how a little seed will eventually become a sunflower or a tomato or a dahlia or broccoli, so the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are not understood in seed form, but as they are planted and grown in our hearts and lives. The parable Jesus tells in this passage is an invitation, a challenge, even a warning for us to examine the soil of our hearts. Sometimes people have seen this parable as a simple explanation of the results of us sharing the gospel with people. So some don't respond at all, some respond quickly with joy and fall away, some people seem to grow a little but then their lives get overtaken by other things, and some bear differing amounts of fruit. Well, that's a helpful explanation of results. I suspect the emphasis here is not on evaluating the results of evangelism or the state of other people's lives, but to examine our own. Why else would Jesus issue the invitation, whoever has ears, let them hear? 
why would Jesus draw on two Old Testament texts that were written to people in a state of rebellion and hard-heartedness against God and his word? Why so much focus on different kinds of soil? Could it be because we all have a responsibility to attend to the way we hear and to tend the soil of our hearts? So let's look at these different kinds of soil which represent different states of the human heart. Uh, Commentator William Hendrickson calls them the unresponsive heart, the impulsive heart, the preoccupied heart, and the good, well-prepared heart. So the first is really not soil at all, it's a rocky path. There's no soil for the seed to sink into, and therefore it's easy to get snatched away by the evil one. The passage Jesus quotes from Isaiah describes a people whose heart has become calloused, hardened. Now, calluses happen over time through persistent wear and tear and lack of moisture and care. When hearts become calloused, they are hardened and no longer sensitive to the prompting of God's word by his spirit. The seeds of God's word lay on the surface, unable to penetrate, and the enemy comes and quickly takes them away. This is the unresponsive heart. The second is the shallow soil that contains a lot of rocks. Because there is hardness under the surface, the seed that falls on this soil may spring up quickly because there's a bit of earth, but because the seed is unable to send down deep roots, it succumbs to the heat of the sun. Jesus likens the sun's heat to trouble and the soil that receives the seed, but has thorns growing there too. One thing I've learned about gardening so far is that a patch of soil only has enough nutrients for a certain number of plants. That's why you can't cram five dahlias into a 30-centimetre pot. They won't grow and flourish in the way they could if they have a 30-centimetre pot each. Soil does not have endless nutrients, so we have to ensure that the nutrients it does have are given to the plants we want to grow. In the thorny heart, there's competition for space. Jesus names those thorns as the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Worries and wealth are competition for the seed of God's word in our heart. They cannot all coexist in the soil of our hearts without there being a detrimental effect on the fruit that God wants to grow in us. That is the preoccupied heart. And the final soil is good soil. Coming after the first three soil descriptions, we can deduce that the good soil is deep, it's free of rocks and thorns, and it's prepared to receive the seed of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that every heart with good soil will produce the same harvest. Jesus is clear that there are different harvests in different lives. But the point is that there is growth and fruit. Now, here's the challenge for us to consider. If you've got the passage in front of you, if you look at Jesus' explanation of the parable between verses 19 to 23, you'll see that each person hears the word. That is repeated in every single case. All of these people hear the message of the kingdom. They hear the message that Jesus is king and that they are called to follow him and serve him as his friends and subjects in his kingdom. 
perhaps they hear this message every week on the same day of the week. But hearing isn't enough. What makes the ultimate difference is the state of the soil of our hearts. The question we have to ask then is, are these soils, are these states of human hearts fixed or can they change? Is this parable a simple diagnostic tool so we can go around labelling ourselves or others as unresponsive, impulsive, preoccupied, good? Or are they a challenge to us that some gardening might be needed? I suspect it is the latter. So I've brought along some gardening tools to help us think through how we might do some soil tending. I used to be a primary school teacher, so props are always helpful. So, when we, are preparing our, when we were preparing our little border in the front of our house to plant a climbing rose, Richard discovered that a builder had previously poured some remaining concrete into that bed, uh, which was then covered by soil. That meant that there was an enormous rock in the garden bed that needed to be removed before we could plant anything there. So, he dutifully went to work. Oh, goodness, this is heavy. With hammer and masonry chisel. He can tell you the story later. I'm sure he will love to regale you with it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it took quite a lot of time and sweat to break it up and remove it so that we could plant the rose. Now, when we're faced with a big slab of hard ground where nothing will grow, a calloused heart, we may need to get out some tools and break it up one blow at a time. The other thing we discovered in that border was that there were a lot of smaller rocks, stones, pebbles, even bits of brick. Now, in order for us to plant things that would last in the varying weather conditions of Accrington, we had to remove as many of those as possible so the roots of the plants could grow down deep. And that required the use of a sieve. Richard, you notice the theme here, spent many hours sifting out the rubble from the soil, which was tedious and physically draining, especially in the heat of summer. But that border is now full of plants that are thriving. We all have rocky places in our lives where our hearts are hardened in some areas. That's why we need to regularly receive the sifting of God's word and spirit so that these obstacles to deep growth can be removed. Another tool we have to have ever ready is the little trowel to remove the weeds that inevitably decide to infiltrate our flower bed. The thing that is frustrating about weeds is that they grow very quickly and need absolutely no encouragement to do so, unlike the flowers we're trying to cultivate. There is nothing, there's no such thing as a one-and-done weed treatment that means we never need to worry about weeds again. A posture of constant vigilance and attention is required. The same is true for the competing thorns of worry and wealth. It would be nice to have a one-off treatment for those things so they never bother us again, but that's not the reality. We need to continually pay attention to the presence of these thorns and root them out before they choke the life of God's word in our lives. The final thing I've brought along is something that helps tired soil become enriched so that plants growing there can flourish. 
plant food. Even soil that is free of rocks and thorns needs to be refreshed and nourished in order for it to be good, rich soil that will produce much fruit. And that is the same of our hearts. We need the nutrients provided by God's Spirit and the gifts he has given us through his church in order for our hearts to be well prepared to receive the message of the kingdom and to see it grow and bear fruit in our lives. A final question for us to consider this morning is, do we have to tend the soil of our hearts by ourselves? Do we pick up the hammer, the sieve, the trowel, the plant food and attempt to sort our own lives out? While there is some individual responsibility involved, I believe that it is God through his spirit who tends the soil of our lives. After all, God was the one who planted a garden in, way back in Genesis when he created the world for humans to dwell in. And Jesus describes the Father as one who tends the vine, rooting out and pruning so that much fruit will grow. How does this tending then take place? Very often through the community of the church. We are called to be a community of gardeners who pick up the trowel and sieve and food and even a hammer sometimes. Now, we're not called to use those implements on people without their willingness. This is not an excuse to go around bashing people with a hammer. Um, we're called to be ready to help root out and nourish where we have the opportunity to do so. That may be a word of encouragement or challenge. It may be noticing worries and providing support and reassurance. It may be walking with people in their addictions and trauma. It may be asking, how are you, and waiting for a longer answer than, I'm fine, thanks. It may be praying for one another and with one another. And that requires us all being open to the gardening contributions of others to our lives, as well as being willing to contribute to others. This work is messy. Dirt under the fingernails and tired muscles are a reality of gardening. But the work is so worthwhile when the flowers begin to bloom and the whole neighbourhood is blessed by their beauty. So before we come to our time of intercession this morning, I'd like us to take a few minutes of reflection before God and ask him by his spirit to reveal where our hearts have become callous, where they're shallow, where there's competition from worries or wealth. Let's ask Jesus to help us to cultivate the soil of our hearts so we can be receptive to his word about his kingdom. Let's offer our hearts to him as well as our hands where he wants to use us to cultivate the soil of others' lives. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's take a few moments.